Hi, this is Ross Payton here with uh, Roleplaying Public Radio, and this is episode 14, the top 10 books you never knew you needed. And of course, with me here is Tom. I'm quite proud of you, Ross. You actually managed to not do the announcer voice like, this is the Roleplaying Public Radio. Thanks, Tom, uh, for keep bringing that up at the beginning of each episode. So, well, uh, if I didn't point that status out status report is what if I, I didn't point out your day. flaws in the, like, every episode, I don't think I would be doing you the service that I required you to do that I required to do. Okay, thanks. Uh, thanks for uh, bringing that up. Anyways, we got a, a lot to go over this episode. Where this is about uh, books that aren't gaming books that you won't find them in a gaming store, but these are books that will help your campaigns either either as a game master or as a player so of course the shit um, you know the kind of shit you never knew you needed until right. you read it and like what have i done how have i been playing without this crap exactly in other words consumerism wait ah yes that well that's what it is anyways of course a few things we'd like to talk about before we get started I've got some forums set up now a few of you have already started posting yes uh, we welcome with all, gusto anyone. you've been using them yes. yes very nice we have uh gravatars which are little avatar images you can set up that are uh, applicable to many weblogs not just ours so if you want to do that uh you can set up your little pictures and things like right. that although though we have the forums we'd like to make clear it's still okay to put comments. Yeah, yeah, on the main side. So feel free to call us whatever you think of us. <laughs> as long as it's flattering. Yeah, as long as well, it's wait, not wait. spam. Well, wait, wait, you have a spam filter, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so actually, yeah, say whatever you want. Doesn't mean it's going to get up there, but... Yeah. <laughs> and what else? We have... We are also beginning to set up uh, donations. So this is to cover equipment costs, uh, web hosting fees. So we can like keep that. doing our shit that you so enjoy so much. We are going to rip off another uh, podcast, uh, Dragon's Landing. You can we'll set up three options where you can decide to do two dollars a month as a voluntary subscription, or you can just donate a one-time fee. Or if you want to sponsor episodes, we'll uh, put up contact information. And, uh, you can we'd let you know that if and if you donate big, we are, we will mention you with with you know, aforesaid gusto. Like on the next episode, we promise. Yeah, like most capitalists, we're very much in shameless promotion, and uh, uh, and and we will bring you into it. Yes, exactly. So, anyways, talking about the books that you never knew you needed. So, Tom, do you want to start off? Or yes, I think I can uh, start on the first books that actually I these are like this is a particular kind of books that I knew I would need. And was glad I had, which are the Jane's Military Hardware books. Okay. Would you care to explain those well, a little more? Well, most of the games I run are modern day things. Right. I don't do fantasy and swords and... Ma- well, I can do magic. You have. Okay. I have. They're just... They're not your forte. Your specialty. Well... Your raison d'etre. Okay. I'll well, start. here, I'll say this. Our dear friend Aaron from the last episode's here. He plays in my games. Aaron... Is it true that my fantasy-based games are not as good as my modern-day-based games? Uh, given in the fact that uh, I would say, yeah, there probably are. But if you, he, to Tom's defense, he does do a good mix of magic and modern. So if that's in place, that's fine. But pure fantasy tends to die pretty quickly. You see? Right from a player's mouth. All right. Yeah, no, I have magic in my games, but it's all like modern-day mystical shit. Okay. But... Yeah, these, I mean, and my like, books... Like uh, Buffy or something. Ross, don't ever say that again. Ever. <laughs> ever. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Ever. Are you, nah. Do you not? Nah. No. You don't. Anyway. Okay. Back to the topic. Not before I so rudely interrupted by that name. <laughs> wow. Now, the, the Jane's Military Hardware books, I, obviously, since it's modern day, I do a lot of military stuff. I give, I, mostly it's shit to throw at my players, like... 
like let's see oh like the harry like harriers oh i need to they need to be a strafe by them so or like yeah you know, i like to a soviet t72 tank Okay, so you like the Tom Clancy hardware fetish? Yeah, thing. and normally, normally I run like mutants and masterminds, so it's also these are ca- capable of blowing said targets up. Okay, and half the time I just use the tank stats in the book, but it's it's impressive when I say, "All right, this is a Soviet T eighty main battle tank." Like, oh my god, is that bad? Like, well, I'm using a tank, but yes, it's bad. <laughs> there you go. Specific words scare players. In other exactly, words, and terms. So when I when I actually use specific terms and some stats like it's 120 millimeter cannon points right at you, half of them shit themselves who don't right. who know what's going on. Right, they they, they assume the worst in other. Absolutely, words. that's a good point. How do you convert the stats in Jane's to stats that you can use for the game? Be honest, I just use the basic stats for missile, fighter, bomber that they list in there. If something catches my eye, like I say, I wanted to do the. 30 millimeter depleted uranium cannon on the A10 Thunderbolt. Right. Then I'll like ma- then I'll up just up its the blast damage. And, okay. Yeah, but other most of the time it's just you know random missiles and like specific random specific missiles and bombs I can just use standard test. If I want to do something a little more extraordinary like a fuel air bomb, then okay. I'll make then I'll increase just basically increase the damage or make it harder to avoid or things like that. Okay. So keep it simple. Keep it simple, because most of the time, all you need to do is spout the technical shit, and people, the, your players will think, "My God, he must have planned this for weeks." So another, okay, so you use it to basically improve the flavor text for your military games. I believe like that. the flavor text is very important for players that want cinematic games. Oh, and that's they a have, good point. And they have come to expect cinematic stuff from me. Oh. You're the okay. You're Mr. Big uh, Shot. Yeah, that's why the one okay. time I tried to do uh, the D and D tactical fighting on a grid map, yeah, didn't work out. So I mean, I did it okay, but it's really hard to throw flavor text in there, okay? Because then they're they're focused on the tactical combat, which somehow diminishes from what they come to expect from me. Okay. All right. For that, just if you want to ever try it in the future, I would recommend boning up on some uh, Robert E. Howard, you know, some Conan right, or right. some uh, other swords and sorcery. But, no, that's uh, another weakness. Most of the comics and things I read are also like modern day stuff. Okay. And just think of it cinematically. A, a good game that would help you improve that is the Iron Heroes main book. You've spoken a lot about that. Yeah. Iron he- read Just read it. And uh, it has a lot of advice on just that. I mean, I mean, I did so, Conan. I do. Yeah. Well, who doesn't? I mean, my God. Communists. Yeah, or Nazis. Nazi communists. Ooh. Yeah. I hate those guys. I hate those. Stop pointing at the giant poster of Lennon I have hanging in here, Aaron. That's a movie prop. Isn't that, like, by the way, isn't that text on there, Lennon was, Lennon is, Lennon shall be? Yeah, probably. I don't <laughs> speak Russian. I just think it looks cool. You're damn right it does. I like shooting Look, at, he's like looking over our gaming table. Yeah. He's, uh... Well, take a, take a picture of it. Put it on the... Okay, Sorry. I will. All right, uh, good. <laughs> well, now, Ross, would you like to do one? All right, thank you for permission, uh, you bet. Mr. Church. For my number five, I'm actually cheating. Well, sort of going along your lines, I am listing three specific reference books instead of one book. Three books for three different genres. Do one tell. Uh, for military, modern military. I have another book, How to Make War by James Dunnigan. It's been updated several times. I have an outdated version. But it explains the basics of every component of modern warfare, from information warfare, uh, you know, electronic jamming. Logistics. To, and- logistics, yeah, exactly. Army moves on its stomach. To hacking, guerrilla warfare, 
every single component of modern warfare is right. addressed. And it's a broad overview. It's not going to go in any depth, but it has a good bi- bi- yeah, bibliography, and it will explain enough so that you can run the game. It will really improve, I think, the types of missions you can run in a military game. It gives you ideas. It's just mm-hmm. chock full of stuff. That's the kind of stuff that you know tells you that you really kind of need a three-to-one troop advantage to actually take a well-defended spot. Ah, uh, yes. Have you read it? Or I just, I just really like Modern Warfare. Okay, that's one of the things he talks about. He, Mr. Dunnigan, I believe, is a war game designer as well. He's worked on quite a few. I can imagine that board games, things like that. Uh, I th- believe he's consulted with the military or for news organizations talking about the first Gulf War, things like right. that. I don't know what he's been up to lately. I haven't got a new version of the book in a while, but. There's my first reference book. The second one I have is How Done It. And this is another primer, but for modern investigation games, which ah, is, of yes. course, the backbone of any modern horror game. Well, not all of them, but most of them. Call of Cthulhu. Call of Cthulhu, Delta Green. Well, World of Darkness, too, I think. There's a lot of investigation. Well, Depending on what, if you're doing, like, a Twilight 2000. Project Twilight. or Project uh, Twilight, so I'm sorry. Okay, but yeah, if you're doing Werewolf, like it's like, you just need to investigate enough so you can find your target and tear him to shreds. Yeah, and even in Buffy, they uh, uh, do Dude, that. Ross! Please, there are children present. Well, Aaron may be a man child, but he's not a child. Well, we're all man children. Yeah, that's true. This it's the curse of our generation. We are. So that's uh, fair. Anyways, so how done is an excellent overview of the investigation process. Uh, everything from forensic evidence to interrogation, how to collect evidence. Yeah, to how criminals do it, types of crimes that are popular. You know, common uh, things like that. And or you could just watch CSI. No. No, 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 no. Because CSI, you would think that taking off your sunglasses is a legitimate tool of the, the modern investigator. But it's not? No. Or wait, but you mean like crime scene investigators don't carry large guns and go to arrest the perpetrators? In designer suits, no. What the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? I know, TV is a, a little disillusioning. I can't trust television ever again. No, you can't. Another book that's I haven't read, but I've heard a lot of good things about it would be Homicide, Life on the Streets. This uh, led to the TV show Homicide, Life on the Streets. And then later on led to The Wire, which is an which I have seen. The Wire is an excellent show showing the inner city gangs, the police, and how things work. So those three are excellent resources. But pr- primarily how done it, that would be the one how to do a crime yeah. scene. It's meant for crime writers, fiction writers, but You can use it. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of overlap in what I'm talking like, about. Just don't use it so much that your own players who are the investigators don't know what the hell you're talking about. Right. You know, it says like, it says, okay, it's like, okay, you have a, you have a lateral blood, blood spatter here. What? There's, there's some, actually some advice in how done it to make this stuff intelligible. Obviously this is game, uh, aimed at a writer trying to make this intelligible for a reader, but again, there's a lot of overlap between fiction writing advice and gaming right. advice. So the third book I have is for fantasy games. You know, one of your weaknesses. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's uh, Bullfinch's Mythology, which is a classic book on Greek and Norse mythology and just goes over a lot of the legends, tells them in a way that is meant for adults, not just for children. You know, if you right. actually read mythology, a, a lot of the stuff you read as a kid is obviously, I would say, balderized, uh, you know, where they tone down the sex and graphic violence and the cannibalism and yeah. Or as, we, or, or as we call it, the good stuff. Exactly. Uh, Bullfinch is 
doesn't tone that stuff down. So, but it's not you know explicit or whatever. It just nah. presents the mythologies in an accurate manner. But so be I think careful that's a good of way. be careful of sex and refer to our adult theme show if you're worried about that. <laughs> well, yeah. I, the one sentence advice I would have for sex is use the fade to black technique when necessary. So, anyway, so those are my picks for number five. Right. And Ross got to do three in a row, so now it's my turn again. Okay. My number four book is actually, like, I have no specific books, mind you, because I'm a horrible person, but the like, zoology books. All right. Actually, specifically, like, ocean zoology books. Okay. Because another thing I love to throw in that Aaron here will also tell you, in my games, I love monsters. I love to throw them in. I never would have guessed that, Tom. Never. But I, you know, but of course, more often I'm than not, no, being sarcastic. No, but more often than not, <laughs> you know, my monsters are uh, the kind you can actually negotiate with. All right, which is what my group has come to prefer. Besides the, hey, that thing's ugly and not at all human. We better kill it. Okay, I do have some of those, but and so I like to make up my own. I get a lot of inspiration just by reading zoology books, especially the ones that are really detailed. Okay, and you know, mixing and matching to create something cool. That's good. That's actually uh, something I've done in the past. Not with books, but with interesting articles I've read uh, about particular abominations from the deep. That is, for example, yeah. there is a parasite, the Saculina parasite, which infects crabs and then takes over the reproductive system and the crab itself and forces them to eat and use all of its energy to produce more parasites instead of the crab. It's basically a sci-fi channel movie Except it's real, and it yeah. affects crabs. No, yeah, the oceans to me contain the greatest monster, you know, cr- weird creature creating ideas ever. Yeah, Lovecraft knew what he was looking. He effing did. Yeah, pour, you know, fucking pour, did. Pour some out for Lovecraft. We, we don't have to, you know, censor ourselves, Tom. Anyways, so fucking Lovecraft, man. <laughs> fucking Lovecraft. Exactly. All right. My number four is a philosophy book, and I'm going to be all hoity-toity for a second. It is... Oh, I see. (laughs) It's a French philosopher, too. A modern philosopher. Aaron, Aaron, would you like to join me in being all haughty with him? (laughs) Oh, oh, oh. Yes, exactly, Tom. Yeah, Um, please continue. That's exactly what philosophy is. You pierce the secret. That's that's all there is. It's just guys being... Anyways... (laughs) This is Mythologies by Roland Barthes. He is a critical theorist, a Marxist literary critic, was, I mean, he's dead now. But Mythologies, I feel, is a great introductory text to sort of disseminating and understanding and deconstructing deconstructing the mythologies of modern culture. And this is sort of, you know, lifting up the veil to see a lot of the assumptions we have about modern life. The I'll find I think the first essay in the book is available on the internet. It's about wrestling and talking about wrestling as a you know, struggle between good and evil. And this is something most of you probably realize one at one point or another, but he goes in great detail and he makes you think about how to use symbolism and how to use uh, the study of symbolism, semiotics in your own game, how to create context to it. So everything, it's not, you know, add a little depth to your game. So I think it's something to make you more critical, more aware of what's around you, of what's in culture. And you can use this to help create more in-depth, more engaging games. And by the way, in case you didn't know, the WWF is fake. 
Yeah, yes. Just in case anyone didn't know that out there. Well, I think they're they've they're they've gone beyond the no, it's not fake. To oh yeah, it's scripted, but it's they've got good writers this season and blah blah blah. They think it, you know, they think it's legitimate television. Oh, the characters are very one dimensional and yeah. story it's is, big sweaty guys. The story is not shorts. at all good. Yeah. Honestly, the, my biggest problem with wrestling is that it's really not that entertaining to watch two guys grapple with each other. If they were doing, you know. Matrix kung fu shit really beating the crap out of each other. I w- or like, how about like old actual ancient Greece Olympic wrestling mm. in the in the nude? Mm. I think you're gonna you then know, see if they're real men. <laughs> wow, that the uh, anyway. It, I brought again, up use, gay jokes. Yes, uh, use the fade to black technique when appropriate. Done. When it, uh, absolutely. Address, All right, uh, my number three. Now, my number three. All right, city tour guide books. Okay. These have been immensely helpful because, as Aaron will also tell you here, just I tend to I, most of my games tend to take place in New York City because that's the city I study the most. All right. I actually, and as far as North America, I think it's the best city to have a game in, or at least start it out. It's biggest city on the biggest city in America. I, I maybe I think Los Angeles maybe about to cross it. I don't know. Depends on how you define L.A. because, you know, there's all that urban sprawl. Right. But New York City has it has history that L.A. doesn't. Okay. So, um, it's, I mean, and it's got miles and miles of sewers that, you can, that I can use. Okay. But I also, I so I have several New York City tour maps and books and showing all. Okay. The, Those are great. And you use them in the game as props? And props and also just regular, just information. But I've collected them. I have some on Los Angeles, Washington, Chicago, Miami. Okay. And I've also got some for London, Berlin, because I, I also hop around the world, too. Okay. So you always uh, – do you use the tour guides just as props, or do you read them beforehand? To I them? read them beforehand. Okay. So, Could you give I, an example of your use of one? Well, the one, uh, one that often surprises you know gamers, not so much Aaron. He's gamed with me for years. But okay. like some of the people that aren't quite familiar, like, if you're, like when they're traveling from New York City to, say, London, I can actually say, all right, well, your plane lands at Heathrow at you – know, they're like, what? What like that's London's major airport? Like, whoa! Okay. I mean, just just simple little things like that. Like actually mentioning okay just immersion. Mention, yeah, just mentioned like okay, and uh, he tells you to meet you to meet you at the statue of Nelson in Trafalgar Square. Just where's that? Where's that? Like, like trust like it gets major props from the from players who think you really know what you're talking about. One other bonus I think you could uh, add in there if you have a laptop or you have a computer with an internet connection use Flickr especially for mm-hmm. public places like that like Trafalgar uh, yeah. Square you can find you know obviously thousands and thousands of photos of it Basically, on and Flickr say, and turn on here's where you are exactly I actually did that in a short run play by post game that I tried to run I placed it in Tokyo and I pulled up a bunch of photos of the Tokyo subway and things like that yeah. and the players really got into it but then I realized running a play by post game was a lot of work and, and a fuck that <laughs> yeah, no reward. I mean, it's it, yeah, it's I mean, kind of fun. But. You know, some things you don't know, like. If you say the top of the Empire State Building, they've seen Sleepless in Seattle. Or I think that's what it was. That I think, that, yeah, yeah. So they know that you know they know that's what this tab is. But there's some places like if you're describing Grand Central Station, a lot of people don't know what the interior of that is. Yeah, true, true. And you can also look through these resources to find less well known landmarks, sites, places, and build adventures around yeah. them. And even more fun is when someone's like, so, uh, like, when did you go to New York, man? Like, yeah. Dude, I've never been. Really? I thought you went there. Uh, no, I went to Washington, D.C. Yeah, that's right. No, but they'll, they'll, assume, like, they'll assume you've been there if, right. you, if you read up enough on it. 
Yeah. And so. I know a little more than just the basic tour landmarks. Exactly. So uh, were there any thematic things that you could connect in a tour book to an adventure? Not just like, oh, it takes place here, but the history of this place or the architecture. There's something that hooked specifically into it that you couldn't have used anywhere else. Well, yeah, there, uh, there was this one book I read. I think it was um, like you know, Haunted America or something like that. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. Where um, there's actually landmarks in New York where there's like horrific you know, stories, like horrific crimes attached to some of these places okay. that you'd never know about. And you can like you can use that. I don't I don't exactly run horror so much, but the times I want to use something creepy. Can you think of a specific example that you hooked into that make it that made it unique, like in an adventure that you actually ran? Yeah, there was the. Um, I once again, I'm so horrible, but in the early 1900s, like 19 aught something, okay, that uh, a steamboat basically exploded in uh, in the you know the Hudson River, okay, and killed like. I think it killed more people than they were on the Titanic. Wow, that is a and no one knows about it. Okay, so I I I wanted a ghost story, like you know a, a ghost kind of a phantom kind of ship to, right. you know, sailing the you know Hudson River. So I used that, and they thought I was making this shit up, and but I actually printed out a co- like a copy of the very small article about it in the mm-hmm. uh, in New York Times. Oh, so wow. I, and I just said, actually, no, that's the actual article right there. Oh wow! And they're like, dude. <laughs> cool. That must have been yeah. really cool. You know, that reminds me. There's actually a gaming podcast called um, – I'm going to get this wrong. It's like uh, the Game Travelers Podcast, something like that. And he basically goes to a different place every episode and talks about a specific place and how to use it for gaming. So we'll do a promo for that right. for this episode. But it's along the lines of what you're talking about. So yeah. that's that's uh, good. So anyways. You're number three. Yes. My number three is a single book. Deep Survival, and this is a book talking about who survives in in the wilderness and who doesn't and why. And he uses lots of specific examples to show why even experienced climbers and survival experts can die in relatively mild conditions or why children very, very young can survive in very harsh conditions. And and he goes into what's really important here is the psychology of the person lost. For example – a person who is panicked, like their rational part of their mind stops working. They revert to a more basic, more emotional level. So higher reasoning is the impossible. The takes over. Yeah. And what happens is, for example, a person who's lost will keep going farther and farther away and will refuse to head backwards, even though logically that's more likely to be found because that feels like they're not making any progress. Emotionally, it's like you're going back, you're retreating, you're in defeat. But if you keep keep going forward, you could find something new. You could find a new place. You could find, you know, safety, comfort in some place you've never been. find death. <laughs> exactly. Another example that he uses is talking about differences in children that are like six to seven to eight or nine. Six or seven-year-olds uh, have a much better chance of surviving in the wild because they follow their own instincts. Like, if they're cold, they'll find warmth, they'll find shelter. If they're thirsty, they'll take a drink. Uh, That sort of thing. Whereas children that are slightly older are learning to fight their instincts, to take control of themselves, to be adults. And so they'll mistrust their own instincts since Hmm. they're trying to be adults. They're trying, you know, but their brain hasn't quite leapt uh, to the adult level, so they will go out even though they're tired. They'll they won't drink even though they should, and so that's why they have a much worse chance than that child who's 
too simple is not you know going to overthink yeah. things. Just do yeah. that. So where does that put the average gamer? Uh, well, we're we're, just, we're screwed. Yeah, basically, we're dead. Unless you can fight your. Well, there actually are specific things he talks about, like <laughs> not going out and keep going farther and farther away, be, and not resisting and not falling to, into panic. That's the main thing. Right. But anyways, now how can you use this in the game? Uh, Obviously, anytime you get characters in a wilderness in a panicking situation, you start thinking about the psychology of these characters, and you can be a bastard as a GM by, you know, basically being the devil's advocate, sort of egging them on to do more and more desperate and panicky Especially things. Especially Call of Cthulhu with sanity rolls. Exactly. You could force them to do that, and just the simple physics the simple biology of trying to survive in the wild you can make a simple trip out in the woods even for experienced D, you know rangers or whatever a very dangerous place very quickly if you look through this and you can see it's deceptively dangerous so it you oh just an overland hike through the forest Pfft, that's easy let's go kill bo- i want to kill monsters that's dangerous no, no 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 going through the forest is fucking dangerous let me tell you something you don't you you go through oh it's a nice hike oh my god it's so cool it's so fabby and then you know three hours later you're you know like uh, eating each other and you know and then, praying and, to your god and then the gnolls walk by like idiots yeah exactly so it's like you're a soccer team you know stuck on the Andes with their death we'll survive yes anyway so that's my number three all right now my number four Punisher comics well you mean your number three well. No, I, I, no, because you did Jane's, and then you did, and then I did the zoology books, and then I did city tour guide books. Right, so I'm on number four. Oh, okay, you're counting. Oh, I'm yeah. counting. Well, whatever. <laughs> God, Ross. <laughs> uh, we're we're professionals here yeah, at Roleplay d- Public Radio. We need your those donations. You're a Nazi, Ross. There. I said. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. Go on. But no, the Punisher comics. All right. Because as I said, most most of mine are modern day, right. and the Punisher. Yes, he's one of my favorite. He's practically one of my only favorite Marvel heroes right now. Though, I mean, he does pretty much do the same thing, but what I really love, especially the Max Punisher series, I love the villains. The uh, Garth Ennis title. The Garth Ennis. Yeah, the Garth Ennis villains. I mean, like, after kind of, you know, the Welcome Back Frank series, the, the Russian was okay, but it was, he kind of, they kind of lost a little of the killer edge. It was almost comical then. All right. But now the recent stuff, just like Barracuda. Yeah, Barracuda. And, that was pretty epic. I, or the I, Slavers. Yeah. I, I like them because. They're really good for reference to like human villains. Yeah. All too often, especially when you're doing like horror and yeah, and those things, like, you can you take the human villains for granted. Like you just forget yeah. about them. Except the Holocaust. Holocaust is always the Nazis. By humans. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find that that's an interesting gaming taboo. But anyways. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but it, it's brilliant for uh, an inspiration on creating memorable, horrific human villains that have no special powers just okay. just the ability to be a complete and utter bastard and bastard and wanting to kill you uh have you do you have any examples of using uh, the punisher material in your games actually actually yes um actually it's uh barracuda i've actually okay. uh, it's a game i'm running for a fr- kind of an online game with a friend right now all right but he like one like someone that's after him now is a Basically, a, merc- a mercenary, a utterly ruthless mercenary who would, you know, who kills anything, do anything to, get, you know, to do the contract. Sure. And also loves to just, loves to just, you know, fuck with you, fuck with you, and joke with you as he's brutally. No, no he's you. a very memorable character, and you could do much worse than to blatantly rip the Punisher off and put that in your game. Seriously, Tom's right. I've read a lot of this. I I don't follow it on a monthly basis, but I have read a lot of it. And you know, if you're especially if your players haven't read it, just rip it off. 
Yeah, like just and the mafia guy Nicky Cavella, who was in a he was in two like two of the series. Oh, he was the one who dug up the the Punisher's family and yeah. peed on the remains. Boy, that that's is... not good. Well, as they he said, in, he did not end well either. Actually, he didn't. He ended a, much better than the some of the other villains. That's Punisher, true. you know, but the others, him, uh, Barracuda, obviously the slavers, the Russian. Before he got this head reattached and grew the giant boobs because yeah. of the treatments, he was pretty good too. For this, the 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 villain who, as he's beating you senseless and killing you, he's you know cheerfully joking with you, not insulting you, just you know helping. It's like you. he's a, a a factory worker, just you know on the assembly yeah. line, basically. Like you know who help, who will help you up and let you have a free shot. Nothing personal, yeah. And then just and then smash you with a toilet. Yeah, no, they're, they're very engaging characters. Uh, Garth Ennis does have a, a knack for writing really. Yeah, let's just read read Preacher for that too. Yeah, exactly. Preacher is another good one. Yeah, so that's good. Again, that's another good point. Blatantly steal from media yeah. that you like, and, uh, and especially if your players aren't. Familiar. And if you tend to do horror, don't forget to, don't forget the human villains. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, and not just the cultists who just scream and charge you with knives. I mean, the ones that keep coming back, and you yeah. And you like you try and try to kill them, but and you can't wait to match wits with them again. The really good villains think they're heroes in their own way, or yeah. that they're good people. And the 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 goal, the challenge for a good storyteller is to make the audience understand the villain's point of view. So mm-hmm. at, in an RPG, that's very difficult, but it can be done. And, but, uh, but don't make them don't make them just solely dedicated to being a bastard. Yeah, I think Yahtzee mentioned this in one of his reviews. We mentioned him before, but yeah, he said that, like, re- like remember the villains from Captain Planet who would steal and hijack an oil tanker and then ram it into a beach just to kill all the seals. Yeah, like why didn't they? Like who knows why they don't just sell the oil at huge profits and avoid all that crap? Don't do villains like that. Just Captain Planet is a dick, and he deserves he, yeah, to be fucked over. A blue dick. Yeah, blue balls, man. I said it. Okay, you you did. All right. <laughs> that's my uh, anyway, that's my number four. It's uh, your number four. Um, my number two because I'm counting up. I'm I am unique. Okay, I'm a beautiful anyway. unique snowflake. <laughs> uh, the gift of fear. Uh, it's a book on fear. How? Gee, Ross using a book on fear. <laughs> yeah, for a horror gaming. It talks about why and when people should be afraid and why fear is actually a gift in the you know evolutionary, you know don't die kind of way. <laughs> yeah. For example, it talks about uh, violent people in relationships, you know, domestic abuse, talks about stalkers, serial killers, criminal. I mean, all these situations, how fear is used, how fear helps us and hurts us and when and how. And the, these mechanical descriptions of fear. I mean, it's not mechanical, but the, the sort of very simple, very... The biological reac- uh, yeah. reactions of fear. And psychological. I mean, it really breaks it down and... Once you've read it, then anytime you have characters panicked or afraid in a game, you can figure out what they're actually going to do, what's going to motivate them. Instead of they're going to do a blind panic or they're just going to do something really stupid, you can have them act in a very unexpected, very interesting ways. So you so. can do it yourself and not have to consult the delirium chart. Right, exactly. Yeah, have it more organic. Have it grow out of the game instead. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love to use the uh, the delirium chart. Yeah. Actually, you know, just a personal thing because I love because I love in Werewolf. I love just the normal humans that have willpower of ten, who see the raging Krynos and can actually go, eh. Yeah. So, so there's something just there's something just delicious about that. Um, it's a paper book. You can get it for like six or seven bucks now. Uh, I would recommend it. It has a lot of good advice on using fear and how fear works. Work. 
So, anyways. All right. And my number five. And this is pretty old. Newspapers. Yeah. Mostly for, you know, campaign ideas. It's, seriously, there's nothing better than the real world to give you inspiration to throw shit at your players. True. You know, and it, it could be it could be something it could even be something from the opinion section. I've had I've used shit I've used shit from the classified sometimes. Okay, really the classifieds. Yeah. Okay, you want to talk about? That? Actually, like someone actually was selling. It was a uh, I forget. I, it was a while back, but someone was actually selling an M4 carbine on the classified ads. Okay, and later I found out read that that, that person was arrested for se- selling illegal firearms without a license they nice. caught and they caught him a, a cop caught him because they went undercover and or, and ordered one of his very illegal weapons i think it was like a some guy like it was a ruger assault assault rifle wow. that was actually you know had the mod taken off so it was still fully automatic nice and i actually did a, i did a campaign like that where there was a, there was someone who was selling. Uh, in this case, I did you know you know high tech super science gadgets. Yeah. You know like illegal plasma ejectors by just almost being blatant and selling them. You know putting them in classified ads. So some people just think oh this guy's just being funny, but right. the people who really know to look for it are actually just calmly consulting the papers and calling the number and getting the weapons they need to take over the city. Of course, uh, if you ever go to a garage sale uh, along those lines. Look for old soldier fortune magazines because up until like the mid eighties, uh, they had one ads for mercenaries. Like I'm helicopter pilot, Vietnam veteran, expert marksmanship will work for you know five hundred dollars yeah. a week. And what happened was eventually this lady hired a, a mercenary to kill her husband. <laughs> And uh, guess what? The cops figured it out. And uh, Soldier Fortune doesn't have those one ads anymore. But just read those descriptions of these uh, uh, mercenaries if you can find one of those old Soldier Fortune. Actually, a, r- a really good example in a movie I yeah. saw was uh, the the substitute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because Tom Berenger, because like he's actually going for almost a job interview as a mercenary, and the guy before him actually made a video of himself. <laughs> which is like it's like a corporate video it says he's in like it's like if you want an expert in hell in parachuting it's weapons and tactics demolitions right. that scene like it's, first of all it's a mercenary in a high school there's that's perfect right there but yeah. that video alone i actually i would love to get like just a, a video screen capture of that video <laughs> well there's uh, probably youtube but we'll, we'll we'll look for it if we can find it we'll put a link up there you so, go anyway so um one ads classifieds that's a resource I hadn't thought of are, are any other unexpected parts and um well, and it's mo- anything and about stock quotes being game <laughs> no I, not so much stock quotes because I, right. I, don't, I don't read the stock quotes that I the stock quotes to me just means someone's making a shitload of money and it sure as hell in you alright but no I've used you know like just like local stories have given me fodder to start a campaign on hmm. like like just a, something like a city council vote to expand a like a, a waste treatments through a neighborhood that group, citizen groups are protesting okay. could mean like in case of White Wolf a sinister Pentex plot or something. Okay, I've gotten a lot of shit just by reading the local paper. Local man falls in sinkhole, gets trapped for twenty four hours, then and, is arrested by the police because he was running away from the police when he fell into the sinkhole. Yeah, or like that actually happened. That yeah. someone I know, and of course he emerged as some horrible worm monstrosity. No, he was just a little dehydrated. Well, that's why I'd do it. But yeah, well, there you go. That's how. And then, did. so then you have to descend into the sinkhole and find whatever's doing it. <laughs> there you With go. With the police chasing you. All right, fair enough. 
All right, that's my number five. Now, what's your number one? Yes, my number one is Storyteller by Kate Wilhelm. And Just so you know, he's actually holding a book right now. Yes, I actually have books. I've used this uh, when I taught in graduate school as a GA, teaching creative writing 110. Uh, this is the book that really helped me because it describe it's a writing advice book but unlike all the other writing advice books this talks about from the perspective of doing it from a workshop a famous workshop called the clarion workshop and so how does does this apply to gaming well workshops are collaborative people talk about their work they critique their own works etc etc hopefully honestly yeah well that's the one of the things the book really emphasizes absolute honesty and so that's sort of the closest fiction writing equivalent you have to gaming, which is, again, a collaborative medium where you have people sort of critiquing each other's work. You know, your player character sucks or he's great or this is why you know, this. I like this game, but this is what you need well, and things like that. We often do that at the end of your game, your game specifically. Yeah, I, specifically. You say, like, okay, talkie time. Yeah. Now. And, uh, Questions, comments, suggestions. And really, like, the, the group's cohesive. We can have about another 30 minutes of just, well, I like when he did this, but then it kind of petered out after this part. Yeah, and, I, uh, I think if you want to be a good GM, you have to keep asking questions of your players. Like, ask them what, you know, questions, comments, suggestions. What do you want? What did you like? What did you not like? Uh, what would you like to see in the future? That sort yeah. of thing. I do that with my group, too. Always get feedback. Um, I, and uh, I do that with my group as well. And this book also has a lot of specific writing advice. For example, uh, I'm just going to look here. Story types that suck, basically, is what it's about. Uh, for example, the poor me story. Mother hates me. Father hates me. Brothers, sisters, teachers. Also, I'm ugly and I can't get laid. Well, enough for the autobiography. <laughs> but, um, no, it's obviously for a game that would be terrible because you don't want the players basically being beaten up for yeah. three hours. Was this the same along the lines of that one story you told me about? Which one? Like, writer returning home. Oh, yeah, yeah. There, there are a lot of those. Then, I, of course, there's the opposite, the I'm so great, I'm so wonderful, nothing's a problem. What, you know, what does this sound like? Hmm, you know, like Munchkin? Uh, yeah, or what's the... Or, Monty or, or, or the what, or uh, what was that woman's name? The, was it Marcy character? I don't remember. You know, the invincible Uber character that's better than everyone? Oh, Mary Sue. Mary Sue, that's it, Mary yeah, Sue. Yeah, Mary Sue, exactly. Uh, then there's the gotcha story. Ha, ah, you read 3,000 words about a bug or a cloud or a rock or some other in, insensate creature or object. You know, what's the point of tricking your reader? You can don't... I, yeah. Can I mention, can I, can I do a, may I mention something about it? Sure, go ahead. George Carlin in uh, his book, Napalm and Silly Putty. Okay. Has a brief little section. He says, why is it I can't read, I, I can't read some novel without having some stupid, ridiculous description of the clouds? Yeah, he says I could probably write a very great fiction story with an incredible story and compelling characters, and not once mention the clouds. Yeah, which then leads to the line. You know, we never talked about the clouds, man. Which one? The, then I mentioned the line he the line he did to Chris, and Chris nearly lost his shit when I said it. When he says the clouds hung in the low in the air like large gray gorilla turds. <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's some kind of poetry there, Tom. That's George Carlin wrote that, not me. Okay. There are just a few others. Anecdotes. Obviously, you don't want just, oh, I went to the dentist. It was kind of crowded there. You know, you don't want uh, the yeah. fantasy lover story. That that gets, you know, way too creepy. Way <laughs> too ignore. creepy. Uh, yeah, exactly. Travelogger. What I did last summer. Again, uh, no problem, but it gets solved. This is a, a common gaming problem as well, where there's a trivial problem and it's easily solved and the GM just doesn't want to challenge the players or... You know, it's too easy. Mm-hmm. Of course, the converse, there's everything's a problem and you can't solve it. I've, I've, I've experienced both. Exactly. And let's see, drug trips or dreams? No. Just 
Uh, okay, unless you've actually been on one, I don't want to hear it. Well, yeah, the thing is that they're not really appropriate for a game, you know what I mean? Well, like, I, okay, I, I For did, short things, but actually, like for the whole I did game. do one. Okay. Um, it's one where... Drug uh, Trip or Dream? Kind of a dream. It's uh, okay. the characters... It was, a, it was a game I ran a while back with another group. Aaron was in it. Where uh, they were actually... Like they had like nan- they were like nanite enhanced humans, okay, kind of like in the game Deus Ex. Yeah, yeah. And uh, someone took control of the of the you know nanites in their brains and like trapped them inside their own subconsciouses. Okay. And the scene I did for that is something they still talk about today because it brought out one of the most incredible characters apparently I ever did. Okay. Which was they're in this office and there's an iguana. He- there's an iguana kind of okay. crawling around the. Uh, did he own a Korean grocery store? No, he didn't own a Korean grocery store, but they found him. He, they they looked up, noticed him. Then he says, "Then he looked at him and says, I like all right. I don't have time. Like, I don't have time to explain this, but you're in trouble.' I was like, 'I'm here to get you out.' <laughs> and he leads them. He leads them through this winding hallway to the ninja bus, which um, okay, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a ninja. It's a one of those. Was it made out of ninjas or just have a lot of ninjas? In actually, it was it was basically one of those uh, England's you know double decker buses. Double decker bus, yeah. You know, the driver was a ninja. All the passengers were ninjas, and they talked like bad ninja movie voices. Right. So it's like, oh, sirs, welcome to the ninja bus. Okay. I had them in stitches all throughout, and they finally get to the Pentagon. All right. Where soldiers are like snapping salutes to the lizard named Jeff says, "Jeff, sir, it's good to see you." Like that, he's soldier. What's the situation? <laughs> All right. Just just doing weird shit like that they still talk about today. Right. I think the 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 trouble is that if you do a, a drug trip or a dream that doesn't apply to the rest of the game. Obviously if it has some context to the main game, but if you have like, oh man, you have this crazy dream and you play 2 hours and then oh you wake up, it it never happened, it has right. no relevance. So Well, I suppose yeah, that that the, the that dream was their own minds trying to get them out of it. But. Exactly. That 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 has importance. That is good. But that's what the the storyteller book is talking about and Anyways, there's a lot of advice and, in there. It's a good book. But don't. Bl- also, if you're going to do it, don't blatantly steal it from like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. So a game I played, and they tried to do this, and like, I it takes a really skilled hand to do. Like, you and, mean lucid hallucinations, waking hallucinations? Yeah, and well, the thing was, he was actually doing like he had a a war show on the TV in the scene, and he says you start seeing them on the walls, like. This is the hotel scene right after the lizard scene in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I've seen this where he says, there's some, they're like, there's some kind of big machine in the sky, some kind of electric snake coming right at us. And right. he had that look that the deer in the headlights look that I actually know exactly what he's pulling from here. Then he had to ad lib, and it was some god-awful ad libbing. See, that's the, that, again, you know, we've been talking about blatantly steal from other sources. That's the danger, though, yeah. is obviously if the players they'll, like, recognize... They'll know what it is. Yeah. So... That's the trick. Either know what the players see or what they don't see, or B, dress it up and change it around so, you know, it's you different. Just, yeah, you can just avoid it. Yeah, exactly. Where it's, it's, be- it's better to have someone say, hey, did you get this idea from this, as opposed to, dude, you stole that directly from this. Yeah, exactly. You, There's a give it a new twist. Remix it. Mash it up. Those are the second. Mix it up. Ones. Yeah, exactly. So, anyways. Those are our books. Yes. So, anyways, uh, these are just some books that will help you with your games depending on the genre and whatever you want to do. So uh, if you think we missed some books, if you think these books aren't good, uh, let us know. Post a comment on the Or if you think they are good and think we're awesome and brilliant and geniuses, do tell us that. Glass is half full, glass is half empty. It's all a matter of perspective, man. Anyways, uh, I think next up we have a new letter from you. Yes, my hard drive is still a little screwed up, but... I wrote this one out, so I'm good to go. Good. And uh, then, of course, we have the shout-outs and anecdote. 
Which always uh, fun. Yes. So we'll be back in a second. Do you want to know what the requirements are to uh, join the FBI? Do you uh, do you have them in World of Darkness character stat form? Oh no. What the hell was that? <laughs> well, I, I got a new girlfriend, by the way. All right, Kirk, you can't have your hands on or under the table. He's hiding under the plastic pool. Yeah, shut up, Kirk. I'm sick of hearing about your relationships already. Bear Swarm Podcast, www.bearswarm.com. Yeah, I guess I remember being 16. Oh my gosh, a girl. Letters from me. Normally on this segment, I thrill you with moronic opinions, reveal embarrassing facts about myself, and try desperately to get cheap laughs by saying fuck a lot. And yes, I admit that all of these things are a giant portion of my whole being. I think it is vital that you know that flinging thermonuclear bullshit is not at all what I am about. There's another side of me, the artistic side, that loves literature and poetry. This is the side of myself that looks at a grain of sand and imagines a universe. And also this side says, fuck a lot. Now, let us explore this side of me by enjoying my reworked version of Casey at the Bat, the poem by Lawrence Thayer that first appeared in the San Francisco Examiner on June 3rd, 1888. A little something I like to call Casey in the Glitter Boy suit. It looked extremely rocky for the darkened Basement 5. The Splugor slaver had left only three of the groups still alive. And after Dave the Dragon failed to get in his licks, the survivors all moaned and said, We're in a dreadful fix. Steve the headhunter, who was one of the two who died, looked at Bob the dog boy and both groaned inside. They held a last hope, an optimistic dream, that Casey the glitter boy could save the stricken team. But the rolling of initiative had not been kind. The slaver went first, as did the warrior women who were blind. Louis the Sightstalker's shot had gone far and wide, and Eric the city rat used his 98% prowl to run and hide. But the slaver did not roll at all that well. The feared attack had completely failed to sell. And when the warrior women let loose their deadly fire, not one other character was added to the pyre. And from the darkened basement there arose a mighty cheer. It rattled the card table and scattered pretzels and beer. A feeling of excitement buzzed like an electric hum, for Casey the Glitter Boy's initiative had finally come. There was ease in his manner as Casey reached for the dice. The faded black Metallica shirt he wore still looked quite nice. The slaver had already used up each and every attack, so Casey had three uninterrupted melees back to back to back. All eyes were upon him, the tension mounted and grew. Casey blew on the dice, a technique tested and true. A hint of a smile lit up Casey's normally somber face as he announced his suit's stabilizer pylons had locked into place. And now the twenty-sided plastic piece sailed through the air as his suit's mighty boom gun laid the targets bare. Not a high number was needed, as, as all the players knew, but when the die landed, the number came up too. From the gathered players, there rose an angry shout. It rattled the stereo and shook the anime wall scrolls throughout. Fag! Fagball die, Steve shouted, his rage growing hot. And it's likely to have escalated had Casey not said, Fag dice, these are not. His words calmed the group, his charisma quite plain. He reminded them all that two attacks were left to remain. Casey picked up the die, and it clattered to the table, graceful as could be. And when the number came up, it came up three. Fuck, cried the maddened group. Fuck fuckity dork balls. The angry cry echoed across the basement and rattled the walls. Casey glared at the die as if it had committed a crime. His cold stare said, You have failed me for the last time. The smile gone from his face, Casey screwed a Marlboro between his teeth. He blew a smoke ring that hung like a ghostly wreath. He grabbed the die a final time, the air as cold as his soul, and then the air is shattered by the force of Casey's roll. Oh, somewhere out there in the land, GMs weave tales of excitement and wonder, Gang groups are following graph paper maps and swords swing and sunder. And somewhere heroes are receiving the rewards that such deeds are bound to have entailed. But there is no joy in the darkened basement. 
Casey the Glitter Boy has critically failed. Nuketown Radioactive, a podcast about life, liberty, and the pursuit of geekdom. Get the show at www.nuketown.com forward slash podcast. On tour with a regular traveler. The Roman Colosseum was begun in 80 BC during the reign of Emperor Vespasian at the height of the empire. It could hold 50,000 spectators, which could be shuffled in or out as efficiently as in modern stadiums. A wooden floor covered a network of tunnels, hiding gladiators and animals before it was their turn to fight to the death in the Grand Arena. On tour with the Game and Traveler. The Roman Colosseum was begun in 80 BC during the reign of Emperor Vespasian, who was an 18th level fighter. It could hold 50,000 spectators, which could be shuffled in or out at a rate of between 15 to 20 per round. A wooden floor covered the dungeon crawl, hiding gladiators and animals before it was their turn to roll for initiative in the Grand Arena. The Gamer Traveler podcast combines gaming and travel all in one. In each episode, we feature a location around the world, learn about its history and travel appeal, and then find ways to use it in your games. We also have sound scene tours and interviews with other gamer travelers. Learn more by visiting thegamertraveler.com, where you can see the show notes, subscribe to the podcast, and post in the forums. The Gamer Traveler Podcast, because our world is the best campaign setting. Thegamertraveler.com And that was Tom with his letter, or shall I say poem. I don't normally do poems, but when inspiration hits, you gotta go with it. Yes, the the muse is a strange beast and what The Muse is a very stupid, cunning bitch, is what she is. Okay. Who'll kick you in the nuts and then leave, but maybe occasionally she'll leave a twenty on the table for you. <laughs> That's a uh interesting uh interpretation. Uh hey. Creativity. Yes. Yes. All right. Anyways, of course, uh we have our shout outs first and then we'll have our anecdote. Uh Tom, do you want to be in the shout-outs? Or? Yeah, I'll, be, I'll begin the shout-outs right. today. My first one is a webcomic I have not recently discovered, but have decided to mention. All right. It's called Wrong Side. Okay. It's kind of a, well, as some of you might know, I'm kind of a, I'm something of a furry fan. Okay. And it's rare that I actually find a comic that isn't just a bunch of rabbit girls fucking gazelle guys on a <laughs> rainbow in space that... <laughs> Honestly, that that kind of, <laughs> that's a uh, interesting. Okay, that's I'm, a, I'm that's, not. I'm not. That's a pretty honest evaluation. Yeah, of and I, I'm really. I'm not making that up. That actually happened. Or it could be. Um, there was one I heard where um, it was a brother and a sister incest one that was very popular. Yeah, I don't read that shit. But this, okay. but this one I read because the artwork is phenomenal in my opinion. Okay, I mean it's actually colored and not not just and drawn not just drawn well but colored she takes the artist takes her time to get it done and all right the story is more kind of political intrigue and all right and you know like you know it's more like it's not like world it's, it's kind of like world war ii except it's the shit leading up to it okay the so it's the backdoor yeah the backdoor dealings all right and that kind of thing and on it and i'm just i was really surprised when i found out when i read it like this one i can actually get behind okay i mean yeah i've uh said before i've read lackadaisy and if you yeah i've read that one so lackadaisy is very good so yeah furry in of itself isn't evil it's just it's the the things that some people do yeah or i think i'm sorry it was the unicorn girl and the it was the unicorn guy and the gazelle chick fucking on a rainbow in space was what i yeah is that a real thing tom that was a real thing wow i thought you were just being well creative i'm not and i was i don't need to see that tom you do not no you you've seen no one needs to see it you've seen goat say and tub girl and shit like that (laughs) you don't need to see this other shit two cups one ball yeah whatever that thing is (laughs) oh man 
Dude, Aaron's getting Aaron's getting a disgusted look on his face. Have you seen Two Cups? Do you want me to describe it to you? Okay. Uh, anyways, you probably the rest of your audience. If you're curious, just Google it. You'll figure it out. If you like, I can provide all of you out there with Aaron's email address and phone number, so he, you can t- you can tell him yourself. All right, fair enough. Anyways, my first uh, shout out is a video game. It is Ooh. yes, an independent computer game developed by a couple in Turkey, but it's actually very good. It's called Mount and Blade, not Mountain Blade. Mount and Blade. It's a. It's like it's like mounting mount a horse. And a blade. Yeah, and use a blade to kill peasants. Ah, yes. And bandits. Yes. and Mostly pe- peasants. Yeah, lots of peasants. And uh, basically, it's a continually updated game. It's still in beta, uh, but each new version adds more and more. I've played it on and off for a while now. And basically, it's a very open-ended sort of medieval combat system with RPG elements. So it's almost like horse theft, not auto in a way because you wander around the countryside you recruit more people to fight with you and you kill people and you can go on missions to get more money so you can recruit more guys so you can kill more guys so you can get more money so you can kill more guys well oh, so the uh there are lots of mods for it too and uh roman legion oh, so, so, you know, so, the, so the blackwater method uh did i get yeah. that right sure no is that the mercenary outfit no, uh well that's the private uh security mercenary. that's what it, yeah okay They're, good i I just want to make sure I got the name. Yeah, right. but you're sort of a freebooter. You, you you don't work for any one state, but you can go on missions for fer- certain kingdoms. But the combat is the main thing, obviously, and it's a very open-ended system where it'll generate a battlefield, and you know you have so many guys on your side, you can give them orders, and then you get on a horse or you can fight on foot, and you can go fight the enemies yourself. And it's just ridiculously fun to go on horseback and you know impale a peasant for 100 points of damage. So. Uh, it's only right. 25 bucks right now, and it's a ridiculous amount of fun. I highly recommend it. Awesome. All right. Anyways, your next shout-out? My next shout-out is also a video game. All right. And partially almost kind of a fuck you. Okay. I, I, I don't mind to be – I'm not being cruel. I'm not saying – I did this specifically to piss you off, but it's a game I've been playing actually on my old Windows 95 machine. Wow. Yeah. I had to actually hook that bastard back. I hooked that up when I want to play XCOM – and, uh, you can actually play XCOM on it. Yeah, I know, but there's something nice about actually doing just not just clicking on it and running it. Okay, yeah, you can do that in the. But I like doing it my way, so shut up. <laughs> but no, this game is F117 Stealth Fighter. F117, okay. And yes, you know this like this came out when it was the F117s were the new shit, like the shit. Of, now they're all crap. God, oh, everybody hates. They're old. Yeah. But this is a flight simulator, combat flight simulator game that is held on two three and a half inch floppy disks. Woo. And it's uh, it's specifically designed so you absolutely cannot just install it in your system. Okay. I don't know. Maybe if I'm just fucking this up, but you have to play it from the disk. Which means you cannot save your progress. That's a resounding endorsement, man. I really want to play but, that game. <laughs> but, but, but what it, what it, like what I love about it is it's sim- it's, it's simple, but the missions are fun. I, I, you know, like you can go like you can choose your campaign. I usually do as Iraq because I like to shit on that country a lot. <laughs> And also, this was back. This is like evil Saddam Empire Iraq. Too. Okay, you like that Iraq? You want to blow up? Which uh, you know, like missions are set up, but of course you're going to basically attack anything you want on the way. And of course, there are just cheat codes. You could just push a button to get infinite ammo and infinite fuel. But for those that don't have the time to actually do what real heroic pilots do, <laughs> okay, 
You know, right. I, I'm, I'm sure that our American boys over there in Iraq now, flying missions or wherever they are, have a much better time if they could actually just drop 400 paveway bombs on a single target. You know, we're supposed to secure the country, not turn it into pavement. <laughs> well, then I guess they shouldn't make, like, on, on Raptor, on F-22 Raptor, they shouldn't make dropping a nuke on a city so much damn fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> If they didn't want us to use, you know, uh, uh, kill millions of people with a, a nuclear weapon, they shouldn't have given us cheat codes. I mean, God. <laughs> fucking, fucking A. But, All right. But uh, my special thing is for anyone that actually knows this game, and of course, you, you know, you commit, you, you accumulate points, which then can get you promoted to, you know, higher, you know, higher rank, and right. get medals that are actually real, you know, medals like Silver Star and. Okay. Do this because this is what I most like. It only works in the Iraqi missions when you're going up against Republican Guard targets, which are basically tanks. Right. You have to have the God mode on to do this. <laughs> but actually, just you know, get, you know, get one targeted, you know, put your landing gear down and land, and then slow down so you're basically just running along the ground. And then as <laughs> turn you, it into a car, basically. Yeah, and then as you come up to uh, one of the tanks, shoot your cannon at. If you do it right, you may have to do it with other tanks, but. Uh, if you do it and you hold down the button, if it keeps doing that, if, if it does multiple flashes, just hold the button down because that's telling the machine with each one of those flashes you just destroyed a tank. And you you can. So carry- your favorite part about a flight sim simulator is the part where you're on the ground driving and shooting tanks. Can I finish? <laughs> okay. God. So basically, your and your cannon carries like 620 rounds. So. If you expend all your cannon ammo, which you might as well go ahead and do then. Okay. If you have infinite missiles. Yeah. But, you know, do that. You've just told the computer you've destroyed 620 targets. Okay. And basically, on one mission, you can get promoted like three ranks and get the Congressional Medal of Honor. There's something really nice about cheating your way to, you know... (laughs) To a higher officer class with the highest award, Bill Belichick method of exactly uh, uh, victory. I don't know what it is. There's just something about this game that is, is still fun to me. Okay, it's the same reason I occasionally fire up my NES and well, yeah. and play some games there. Okay, there's, some, there's nothing about the old fashioned low. No, there's a there's shit. a uh, uh, you could say a, a community, a movement towards uh, old school game retro gaming. Right. Um, I don't know if they all appreciate blowing up 600 tanks on the ground and getting the congressional. I'm simply saying that I don't know if anyone else but me has discovered this and if no one else knows about this I am so proud that I am the only one that knows about Get your jollies that way. I you have no idea. Okay. All right, my last shout out is uh one last video game. We're just doing games games games. And this is a new game. It's been in development for 4 years. Programmed primarily by a PhD in mathematics, it's called Dwarf Fortress. This is a game where you uh, procedurally uh, randomly generate a world, and then you put you get seven dwarfs, some supplies, and you're you know go build a fortress. And the amount of complexity in this game is staggering. I mean, are, every- we, talk- are we talking like water evaporation rules? Staggering? Yes, actually, uh, that was one of the things I was thinking of. There, uh, there are hit locations for every single dwarf, and you can have like two hundred dwarfs, each with their own unique emotional state, personality, likes and dislikes, inventory, uh, items they own, water pressure uh, rules and mechanics. <laughs> rules for smelting you know ore into fuel and then so on and so forth to make metal to make objects uh you can create your own dwarven economy where everyone has their own job gets their own wages does their own thing it's quite insane in fact there are people who don't even 
play the game. They just read stories of other people's games. Like there's one fortress in particular where each there were like 10 people each took a turn running the game for a year and then passing the save file to someone else. And their fortress, their settlement was called Boat Murdered. One word, Boat Murdered. All the names are randomly generated too, which is awesome. And uh, Boat Murdered had an elephant problem. And uh, <laughs> they had lots of elephants that they had to deal with. And I don't want to spoil it for you, but uh, elephants and murderous river carp. Okay, I want to say, an, an elephant infestation almost sounds like a Monty Python skit. It kind of is uh, like uh, that. Could, could, could One you... problem, okay, like, one other problem is um, cats. Like, uh, dwarves can get cats as pets. The thing is, cats don't eat because that code isn't in the game yet. And that would be way too much processor space. And so, but cats can have kittens. And so, since they never starve to death, you can have lots and lots of cats. A cat explosion, if you will. Uh, a, the guy, cat, a, cat, a cat apocalypse. A, a catastrophe. Ooh. <laughs> Anyways, uh, you can have so many cats that clogs your you know 4 gigahertz processor or whatever else. And this is a game with no graphics. Everything is an ASCII symbol. It's like a roguelike, you know. Anyways... Like, uh, the artist for Three Panel Soul, he, uh, well, the guy who plays Dwarf Fortress, he had a solution to his problem. He would herd all the stray cats, all the cats that did not have owners, onto a bridge. This bridge was over a 10-story pit. And then he withdrew the bridge. And all the cats fell. And they fell. And then they hit the ground into a huge explosion of body parts. <laughs> and uh, it was quite entertaining. In fact... In the game's manual is the, the, the mantra, losing is fun. <laughs> and in fact, people will build incredibly elaborate fortresses and then set them up to a single lever that will cause the fortress to dis- uh, uh, basically fall apart, to be totally destroyed. And they do it gleefully. This took me 20 hours to do. Ah, it's fun. And um, now, That cat thing reminds me of one of the, a line from Metalocalypse. Yeah. Just the, release the kitties. <laughs> Um, yeah it's a quite insane game Uh, an insane game so check it out Uh, check out the saga of boat murdered there's one quote that I think is really telling Uh, somebody in the something awful thread talking about this game which has gone on for like thousands of posts for months and months says I don't want to play the game I just want to start it up and have it tell me stories I mean, really, it is that complex, and it can create these own sagas. In my own fortress, for example, I had a dwarf go hunting barehanded, and he strangled to death two marmots, and, you know, that was good. And then he decided he could kill a giant eagle with his hands. He failed. He died. And then uh, the dwarven engraver uh, memorialized him by putting an engraving of a uh, giant eagle striking down a dwarf in the main meeting hall. And that was all random. I didn't tell him to engrave that particular image. I just thought it was cool. So... Yeah. Well, my associate Aaron here says he has a shout-out he'd like to do. Okay, you could turn the mic over to him. Yes, I will do that now. Aaron Karsten, defender of Sluggy Freelance. Uh, please, this isn't going to be another Sluggy Freelance thing. Okay. No. All right. No, this will not be Sluggy Freelance. All right, Aaron, um, what is your shout-out? Uh, this shout-out weekly uh, actually goes out to the uh, film production of Iron Man. I was lucky enough to actually okay. win some uh, pre-screening tickets, which I got to go see on Tuesday with a bunch of other nerd men child. Okay. Uh, children, sorry. Men children. Sorry, I pronounced that wrong. Jed Aparo, you know. Uh, but 
if luck, I went into that movie being slightly apprehensive because, uh, if nothing else, Robert Downey Jr. has not been my favorite actor in the world. Well, he, he's he's good, but it, he's you know it's okay. You don't have any taste, but that's okay. But no, no, and I liked a couple of his movies, like Chaplin and so forth. But getting back to point, um, I was giving him his fair chance, and he shocked me. He honestly shocked the hell out of me, along with the rest of the cast, awesome. doing an awesome job in there, portraying Tony Stark, Pepper Potts. Um, uh, Obadiah and, and all the other characters and if nothing else I have never seen a, n- a Marvel movie that has been so true to what uh, the original plot line has produced and has actually made gone to great lengths to make the things the armors themselves look like they were uh, have been almost pulled from the comics come on Daredevil come on that was awesome guys yeah um, yeah anyways um, um, but no I was just I was just completely blown away and if nothing else it proceeded to wash the collective stink that Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer and Spider-Man 3 had put in my head um, the Fantastic Four movies are actually really funny if you watch them with uh, riff tracks so which I have way. Yeah, but unfortunately, I, Tom and I had the mistake of going to see Rise of the Silver Surfer, thinking we we're going to get an epic movie, and of course, well, we got shot in the Galactus face. Galactus was a big cloud of gas. Yeah, that's your fault. I'm blaming the victim. But anyways, my- Galactus was a fart. Yes. Anyways, uh, all right. Well, hopefully, with uh, our shout out, that will bump uh, Iron Man to actually become a profitable movie and uh, get some publicity. Because Lord knows we haven't heard uh, any anything about this very underground, very small movie. So, anyways, we'd like he, to end. He requested it. I, I I could not I could not deny him. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'd like to end the show, of course, with the, or we would like to end with the anecdote, and I have an anecdote this week. So, we'll turn it over to Ross here. Yes. I've actually been uh, playing a game, which is uh, uh, sort of rare for me. This has been an eight-month GURPS World War II game, third edition, where we started as 25-point civilians in occupied North Holland in the city of Harlem, not New York City, but in Europe, the real Harlem, well, the first Harlem. Anyways, uh, we started 25-point characters. There are three PCs. One PC was an English aristocrat who was overseas studying when World War II broke out, and he was kind of caught there. He basically put all his money, all his points into wealth. And then there was a Dutch civilian fisherman teacher who started murdering people with a knife. And uh, <laughs> oh, then, the, the Lovecraft method. I, no, the serial killer method. Anyways, he was actually a good guy. Uh, then there was me. I decided to take a little challenge, and I took a, a Polish Jew who was uh, hiding out from the Nazis, obviously. So I was got a lot of points for that. And I was a doctor, which was very useful because uh, the other two characters, uh, actually all three of us, got shot up pretty horribly at one point in the campaign. The whole campaign was basically survival, hiding out from the Nazis, getting supplies, you know, helping the resistance when appropriate, making our own choices, you know, with all these spy games, all these resistance fighters and these Nazi cops and hey, was this the game where the panzers drove by and the yes, glass shattered exactly that yeah. one Ugh. and um, it was a very very epic game just it you would think just being in a city far from the front line would be boring but when you're a civilian hiding out you know getting through checkpoints having your papers at all times being able to smuggle supplies in or out you know having to figure out all this stuff when you have no very few combat skills very low stealth and you have to get it all through the game is very challenging and it was very a very interesting game and the gm had a lot of historical research knew his material and it was quite interesting anyways the anecdote is last session of the game 
the SAS was in Holland stirring things up. They thought the English nobleman was had sold them out to the Germans. They nearly killed him. The English aristocrat wanted to go to this banker to get a confession out of him to prove his name. So we decided to rob the bank. Also, I needed money to get out of the country and get to England. So we robbed a bank and occupied Nazi Europe. Now, are we talking, did you rob it as in hands up yeah. and against the wall style? Yeah, pretty much. And oh. the English aristocrat shot the banker after getting the confession out. We stole enough money to get out, barely managed to avoid getting caught. And uh, then we all broke up. And the epilogue is all three of us survived barely by a few dice rolls and a few decisions. All three of us could have been killed, you know, except for things going slightly our way. For example, my character had went to Denmark and from Denmark paid the smugglers to take me across the channel to England. However, I decided to take this kid with me because one he had been caught up with the resistance he'd been fighting with the resistance and he was horribly traumatized and so on and so forth and also because i figured if i had a kid with me the smuggler smugglers and people would be less likely to execute me so. uh yeah have you seen the, the movie downfall uh no i haven't uh, there's a scene where hitler's secretary leaves the bunker right yeah. before the soviets show up and she's like nervously approaching this group of soviet soldiers in berlin yeah. This kid who was a member of the Hitler Youth just comes up, grabs her hand, yeah, and they walk by, and this the troops think she's a mother with her kid. They don't rape her. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, kids exactly. can be useful to have around. Exactly. And also, that kid probably was a better fighter than any of us. He was really good with lock picking. That's, yeah. Anyways, uh, so, and also, I paid them a lot more than they asked for. So they basically dumped me in a rowboat outside 15 miles offshore and I rode I managed to make my strength check to get to shore and then uh, the one skill I'd never used in the game or maybe once or twice was English and I put four points into it and that made the difference because that meant I didn't get shot uh, I was like hey please don't shoot me I am trying to escape I'm a civilian and I, ha- did, I wrote did out I the rest I, of the war did in I mention I have a kid yeah exactly <laughs> uh, I wrote out the rest of the war in England and uh, as a doctor treating burned uh, fighter pilots um, and buzz bomb victims. And yeah, exactly. And let's see here. The fisherman, the Dutch civilian, he actually had an affair with the daughter of a German intelligence officer. Ooh. Yeah, and he basically said um, they had a Mauser wedding, you know, instead of a shotgun wedding. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, uh, he knocked her up, and the he rolled the dice. And Was this, the, this is an, an SS officer or Gestapo um, or... SS, the intelligence, military intelligence. Yeah. So not not the uh, secret police, but the military intelligence, I believe. So yeah. I, I actually I don't remember. I think that would be the SS. One, Anyways, one he was divisions. one of the fifty richest families in Germany too. So he married into wealth, uh, and basically he avoided getting his train to Frankfurt straight. He had to roll above a forty. Rolled a forty three. If he rolled under that, he would have been killed by the strafing attack. And then the English aristocrat, because he had the confession on him. Uh, after he killed, you know, got the confession from the banker, shot the banker, he was caught by the SAS, but they decided to let him live. And then he became a minor politician in Britain because of his family wealth and his staunch anti-communist views. Ah. And uh, so all three of us barely lived. And this is a game where I performed open heart, not open heart, but open invasive surgery on a resistance fighter with butcher's tools in a uh, safe house. And one of the English aristocrat and the other guy, uh, the fisherman, uh, the civilian, 
were he- both helping me during the operation, but the aristocrat had a heart attack. He passed out. He failed a panic <laughs> check. That's so why I had to treat him. If I for- formed open heart surgery or open uh, surgery on him to get the gunshot out, so um, the bullet out. It was a uh, quite a campaign. Wow! And it shows you to be an epic game. You don't need high power levels. You don't need to be a badass. You just need to make it yeah. very dangerous and very difficult. I-, I will once again use a term I borrowed from uh, Yahtzee. Yeah. Is uh, you don't have to be Tommy Testosterone Tits. Yeah, exactly. I believe I used that term once before, but now I want to give proper credit to the guy that said it. All right, fair enough. And uh, so there, there was a lot about that. It was probably the best campaign I've ever played in that I can think of, because uh, partly because of the length, partly because of the challenges, partly because of the characters, and uh, also you were playing it. Yeah, exactly. That was a rare change for me. So uh, that's the anecdote. And awesome. Anyway, this has been episode fourteen, the top ten books you never knew you needed. Uh, I'm Ross Payton, talking faster and faster, faster, faster. And I'm Tom Church, Aaron Carson with us. Yeah, I guess I'll give you credit. So Thank you. You, (laughs) He'll actually look at you. Yes, all right. Anyways, we'll be uh, back next time. Long-ass episode, it seems.
the wrong You can't judge one by looking at the other Yeah, you can't judge a book by looking at the cover Come on, can't you see Oh, baby, this judge me Looking at the cover Can't judge that book. No, better not. <laughs> <laughs>